The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. I'm Jason Garwood, and I'm your host for this episode. I serve as lead pastor of Colwood Church in Carroll, Michigan. I am husband to Mary and father to three beautiful children. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our Facebook pages so you can interact with us on any questions you may have. Let's begin. I need to confess something to you right off the bat. If you're anything like me, you oftentimes get this reoccurring feeling of wishing you knew back then what you know now sort of thing. It happens to me a lot, for I could have spared myself from some trouble, but alas, we live, we grow, and we learn. At any rate, the confession I have is this. I wish I knew then how much pietism was ingrained in me. I hate the feeling of knowing something now and realizing how much help it could have been a long time ago. But out of all the things I wish I knew, this problem is the thing I think I resent the most. The reason pietism is something I personally take exception to the most is because of how destructive it is. It affects everything. How you live your life now. How you view the future of the world. How you process things that go on in your own life as well as world events and so on. Instead of thinking covenantally, and thus seeing the world through the lens of ethics, I was consumed with pietism. I wanted the higher spiritual life, one devoid of worrying about earthly matters. Instead of being a spiritual man according to how the Bible describes it, I was essentially attempting to go about my maturity the way man thinks I should go about it. I simply did not realize until a few years ago just how impotent my understanding of the Bible and its applicability to all things truly was. So what is pietism, and why is it such a problem? Let me define what I mean by pietism by starting with what I don't mean. I don't mean that we should not commit ourselves to pious acts. There is a distinction that needs to be made between pietism and piety. We should read our Bibles, pray, go to a biblical church, tithe, partake of communion, and live on mission together as the church. These are pious things, and we should do them, often. By strict definition, piety is merely the outward manifestation of internal reverence and religion. Pietism, however, as a systematic philosophy, ought to be contrasted with pious acts of righteousness. In other words, all pietists value piousness, but not all people committed to piousness are pietists. To reiterate, The critique presented here is not towards committing ourselves to pious actions. Like the Puritans, we do believe in experiential religion. The critique I'm offering is for the philosophy of pietism that believes in the, quote, deeper life, the spiritual onlyists who think that only inward spirituality is what matters in the here and now. We can't get wrapped up in the material. Pietism was a reactionary movement following the Protestant Reformation. It it tried to bring Christian life 
um, out of the perceived chains of a, of a morbid, stale religious experience. Orthodoxy was believed to be dead, so a commitment to reinvigorate the spiritual lives of Christians was in view. This, in and of itself, wasn't inherently a problem, for we should be people who have outward actions aligned with what we believe to be truthful on the inside. But the movement gained traction, especially in the Moravian wing, as well as the Methodism and Holiness movements. Though Wesley's Methodism should be considered pietism light, the problematic teaching of perfectionism and the erroneous Second Blessing doctrine, coupled with the heretic Charles Finney's full-blown Pelagianism, has all contributed to the pietism we face in our nation today. Luther said that vowing something that God hasn't commanded is sinful. Luther, like all the reformers, they were committed to the word of God and the truth found therein. The pietists came along later believing that they could give improvement to what Christ commanded in his word by swearing to live pious lives, making an oath to be a superior Christian. What Christ commanded was great and all, but man needed to add something to the recipe in order to make it even better, so it was perceived. This, of course, is the problem with pietism. The practice itself and the culture it breeds is designed to give people a better experience of Christianity, making someone feel as though he or she is part of the elite, the best of the best, the summa cum laude of Christianity. Everyone else is, is just an ordinary Christian. There are Christians, and then there are purpose-driven Christians. There, there are Christians, and then there are Christ followers. There are, are Christians who love the confessions, and then there are radical Christians. There are regular run-of-the-mill Christians, and then there are those who believe in a new kind of Christianity. Pietists believe that Christianity has been compromised, which has happened and will happen to some extent, hence the need to always be reforming to the word. And the answer, uh, according to them, is to figure out an extraordinary way to become an elite Christian. The Bible isn't enough. We have to feel like we're better than what that is. Pietism takes many forms, but much of it is rooted in separation from the world, asceticism, uh, man-made traditions and philosophies, and practices of mysticism. You, if you really want to be a radical, emergent, super-Christian, you better get a rock star preacher to follow, for every religion has its gurus. Inevitably, pietism leads to legalism, the belief that works somehow gain the favor of God, be it before justification or after. May it never be. When we look at history, we can see that the early church Desert Fathers are today's retreatists who hide behind the four walls of their faith community building. Remember, they are Christ followers, not Christians. The rest of us are just Christians, the lesser valued group. What was thought to be the answer in history is still thought to be the answer today. If we have our personal quiet times, reading Jesus Calling, putting a picture of it on Instagram, then we know that we're elite. Is this what spirituality truly is? What, what would your answer be if I asked you the question, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? I've asked people this question in the past, and what amazes me is how most are conditioned to think about this question. Usually the answers are outward, Bible reading, praying, serving neighbor, and so on. Uh, the assumption is that the truly spiritual person is the one who does certain things. 
the guy at Starbucks who has his Bible out and is reading it between sips on his mocha latte is obviously more spiritual than the guy sitting there in the corner on his phone drinking some sort of fat-free nonsense. What is he doing on his phone anyway? Taking a picture of his drink? Who knows? I submit to you that this experiment proves the depths of pietism that is ingrained in American Christianity. Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, and if that is true, you better have your personal quiet time each day, or God will dangle you over the pit of hell until you get it right. Right? When we take the Bible's demand for holiness and detach it from God's positional declaration of holiness on our lives, we tend to move the pendulum too far. We relegate our Christianity to simply inward, private, dare I say, spiritual-only things, as if that's what it means. Let's look at the Word of God to find out what it means to be a spiritual person. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Paul says that the natural person, the unregenerate person, doesn't accept the things of God's Spirit, which is why James Dobson needs to recant his statement about Donald Trump being tender to the things of the Spirit. This verse refutes that absurd notion. The foolish person, as Paul says just a few verses before this, is the person who rejects the cross of Christ. It's folly to the world, yet it is the wisdom of God. The unregenerate can't understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. That word discerned is the same word in the next verse translated judge. This next verse here in verse 15 answers the question of the hour. How do we know what a spiritual person is? Uh, By definition, what are we to think of that? Paul says that the spiritual person judges all things. The Greek word in lexical form is the verb anakrino. It carries the the connotation of of investigatory questioning, hearing a case, um, discerning the facts, um, examining closely the matter or matters at hand. And, And what are the matters at hand? Well, Paul finishes that sentence by saying, all things. The spiritual person judges all things. Sounds somewhat uh, funny to say that a spiritual person judges everything, doesn't it? It flies in the face of our pietistic culture where we close our eyes, raise our hands, and feel the Holy Spirit's presence in our worship experience at church. We've been taught never to judge anyone And yet here, Paul says we should judge everyone and everything in the world. Obviously, he's not talking about condescending, I'm better than you nonsense. He's talking about discernment. Because we are covenantalists, we are ethicists. Because we are ethicists, we see things in the world as either good or bad. There is no neutrality, which means either you are in Christ or you are an enemy of Christ. Someone is either in Adam or in Christ. Someone has covenanted with Satan or covenanted with Christ in his blood. All things in this world should be viewed through this ethical judicial lens. We are evaluators. We filter anything and everything through the authority of God's word, carefully passing judgment, critiquing, questioning, and examining 
on everything. This is what it means to be a spiritual person. The spiritual person is a mature person, and a mature person is a covenantal person, a man who sees the world through God's law. The greatest problem is ethical, not emotional, hence why Paul says that the spiritual man judges, not feels. True biblical spirituality isn't about adding to the work of Christ. It isn't about moving up to the next level by doing certain things. True biblical spirituality is using the law word of God to take dominion in the world by carefully laboring to see ourselves, our churches, our families in the state brought under Christ's loving rule and reign. Now, I want to try to pull this all together. As I was sitting thinking about this episode, uh, I came up with just five real um, simple errors, the, the errors of pietism. Uh, and I came up with these quickly. Um, they relate together, and I'm sure there are a lot more, um, but this is something to get us started. Um, number one, pietism promotes a false dichotomy between sacred and secular, which reveals a misunderstanding about the doctrine of creation. The earth is the Lord's, the psalmist says, and he bought it back judicially through his son's blood. It now belongs to his meek church, which means everything in the world, short of sin, of course, is ours for the taking. This false dichotomy between the sacred and the secular has absolutely crippled the church. We have given ourselves to the belief that somehow there are institutions and places and things where the kingship of Christ should have no say. This is hugely problematic. Number two, pietism has what we will call an under-realized eschatology, which reveals a misunderstanding of the timing of the kingdom of God. Jesus made it abundantly clear that he brought the kingdom of God in his ministry and the subsequent ministry of the Spirit-empowered church. So Jesus said, if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then you'll know the kingdom of God has come. He spoke about his tying up and binding of the strong man, Satan himself, so that he could plunder his house. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in, Ma in Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the kingdom gospel message, right? That's, Jesus was clear on that. So therefore, to be premillennial is to push a false understanding of the timing of the kingdom, which in turn promotes an underrealized eschatology, one where the kingdom is in some sort of purgatorial form right now until Christ can come later and mop it up. Premillennialists are waiting for this discontinuous event at the end where there is virtually no continuity, that the kingdom is just going to drop out of the sky, and there it is. Amillennialists, they will commit um, a similar error in that they don't believe the kingdom of God is here in its fullest sense. They simply believe it's a spiritual kingdom. Number three, pietism lacks a biblical view of the lordship of Christ over all things. He's not just king of my heart and the hearts of his people. He has been crowned lord of all, and all means everyone and everything, every person, every institution, everyone everywhere owes their allegiance to King Jesus. Psalm 2 says that the rulers of the earth, from the mayors to the presidents, from the county commissioners all the way up to the prime ministers, they are to kiss the son, lest he get angry and they perish. Number four, pietism shows a disdain for the Older Testament. 
since biblical law belongs to another dispensation, we really don't need the Old Testament because it doesn't apply to us. It's just a bunch of prophecies about Jesus. It's no big deal. Uh, certainly, the law can't apply to the state, pietism teaches. Number five, pietism promotes an antinomian, semi-Pelagian worldview that compromises their entire system. I realize that all of these are related to some extent, but the anti-law, man-centered effort that pushes the entire philosophy is foreign to the biblical gospel. Pietism affects the church in a grand way. Inevitably, the, a culture of pietism leaves people in the local church wondering where the elders stand on issues in the culture. The pastor doesn't preach about it, and the elders don't shepherd in light of it. If a, if a church simply stays silent on the cultural malaise of the hour, people in the local church become even more detached, or they become confused, but they are never equipped to get their hands dirty. When the pulpits run dry, the people starve. Then all they're left with is the song, Jesus Take the Wheel. Pietism pushes the church on the defensive instead of the offensive. The lamb spilt blood, therefore the world is ours. It's our culture, our God's law, our world view that must be implemented if civilization is going to thrive. And yes, you bet it's going to get messy. Practically speaking, pietism is impotent to give you any tangible value in going to work each day. If the false dichotomization of life is presupposed, a person can't see much value in his woodworking or plumbing. Those things simply do not connect or add to the kingdom of God because they aren't spiritual, at least according to the definition of the pietist. Suddenly, make disciples becomes just evangelized, and you never really get around to teaching people the law of God, which is what Jesus told his disciples to do after baptizing them. The issue for the church isn't a, a need for more piety, though prayer should be present. The issue is definitions, defining the church, defining the biblical worldview in terms of what the Bible teaches, not what man feels. One of the problems of pietism is that it misdiagnoses the real issue and tries to meet it with a false solution. One writer says, quote, it sees a, a compromised church that is apparently caught in dead orthodoxy. The real problem is not dead orthodoxy, but spiritually dead sinners who give mental assent to orthodox truth but show no signs of regeneration, end quote. They, they see the supposed dead orthodoxy, think that the problem is the doctrine itself, and think that if they just felt better about Jesus and themselves, then this will fix it. That's why our sermons are less about doctrine and more about feeling happy. This is why each year the best sellers are either from heretics who tell you how amazing you are, or heretics who write stupid devotionals with, with, with about a few sentences of nonsense. Orthodoxy can't be dead, for God's word never returns void. And spiritually unregenerate sinners who mentally assent to doctrine aren't saved. Instead of leaning on the cross of Christ and the finished did you hear that? Finished work of Christ. Instead of coming up with a cure, they create a volatile disease, and they call it medicine. Finally, let me end with this. I just finished reading Imprimis, which is the small pamphlet that was put out um, by Hillsdale College in Michigan. You can actually go online and get that delivered to you free of charge. Um, the May-June 2016 issue had Justice Clarence Thomas's speech to the graduates this year. Now, in it, Justice Thomas made the observation from his childhood farming days that, quote, if you didn't discharge your responsibilities, there could be no independence, no self-sufficiency, and no freedom. 
in context, he was, of course, um, talking uh, and comparing his work on the farm with our work as citizens in America. It applies to this issue of pietism, too. That's why it stuck out to me. Instead of discharging our responsibilities as kingdom citizens, we've kicked back and waited for the fireworks, also known as the rapture, to come. Thomas's keen observation is quite valid. You can't beat something with nothing, and since everything is covenantal and nothing is neutral, either we are discharging our responsibilities as disciple-making disciples, teaching the nations to bow to Christ, or we are not, which means, as I have demonstrated, that pietism isn't a valid option among many. It's completely antithetical to the biblical gospel. It's high time we discharge our covenant responsibilities and leave the lollygagging to the world. Christ is supreme. He is supreme over all things, whether it's yourself as a man who is to be guided by God's word, whether it is to your family who is to serve Christ in all things, or whether it's the church, the local assembly. Um, Christ is Lord over all things, including the state. That's the problem with pietism. This is setting the record straight. Thanks so much for listening. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.